0: Last two weeks, we wanted to look at these two themes in the letter that Paul uses regarding the future. Why we're looking at this particular letter the wrath to come and the day of the Lord. Well, we learned last week from Paul's reference to the wrath to come that hope is not happiness here, and then you know, there's more to come, kind of like dessert after dinner, looking forward to the pumpkin pie after the turkey but we really like the turkey. That's not what the future is about. Hope is understanding that this is not it, and that I live for what is yet to come. Hope in Christ and His return is absolutely certain. And we've been looking at Revelation chapter 21, which tells us this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. God says, if He were to have this conversation we keep referring to with you, He would look at you finally and say, In time, I will fix everything. This is our certain hope. Hope is certain. Here is not. So that means a concerted effort to see His presence as greater than any place I find myself now. That comfortable really is not acceptable. Here is unsatisfactory. We're to have a holy dissatisfaction with the old ways looking forward to the new, that we need to be loving people out of here to there. Now one more concept from Paul's letter that we should learn about hope is this second phrase I referred to The day of the Lord. Hope means living in the light of one day. That's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is about. Hope in the Lord gets us to see what we still need to be preparing for. His returning is our blessed hope. But that's not some kind of idle waiting. A spiritual twiddling of the thumbs until He shows up. There is an active Preparedness moving towards that day Let me put it this way to help us remember and understand Now I get it, so I do it That is, I live in the light of Jesus' return Let me start with the first part of that Now I get it, let's make sure we do get it The first 11 verses of First Thessalonians chapter 5 This day is coming we just don't know exactly when. So Paul uses a couple of illustrations. First, of course, of a pregnant woman. The baby comes. That's certain. Ladies, don't you just love all the silly things that people say to you when you're pregnant with a child? Haven't you had that baby yet? You know, as, as if. You know, you have just some opportunity to decide. But it is going to happen, right? Right? That's absolutely certain. You just don't know exactly when. The day and the hour, we don't exactly know. God has a purpose in that. That we would be, there's an intended pun here, expecting. Really, that's the purpose of the illustration. You are expecting that this is going to happen. You are readied. And isn't that true? That's the natural process. As a, wolf, a woman even goes through the pregnancy, she gets to the nesting part at the end. Everything's got to be ready. And their husbands are like, Why are you doing that? Because something's going to happen. Rightly so. Readied. And here's the significance of the other illustration then the thief in the night. The problem of a thief coming in the night is for those who are unprepared. It's a surprise to anyone if a thief were to come in the night, but for those who are prepared, the results are completely different. It's those who are unprepared that suffer the consequences. As a matter of fact, this actual phrase, the day of the Lord, betrays that they're, uh, they're not, there be no need to be overly surprised. This was, wouldn't have been a new phrase to these people, the day of the Lord, the Thessalonians, that is. Uh, they would have been, and uh, I'll show you in a minute why, very uh, aware of what the Old Testament said about this. Amos is the first prophet, the earliest use of this, to be used, and it's obvious from his use of it that this was already a standard popular phrase that they were uh, aware of to the people. It meant a day when Yahweh would intervene, irrespective of how they were were uh, behaving as Israel, and it would be a day of judgment for Israel. The day of the Lord is an occasion when Yahweh actively intervenes to punish the sin as it's come to a climax. And this is then mentioned over and over in the Old Testament in Ezekiel and Joel and Zephaniah and Zechariah. Did I say Isaiah? Then at this point, the truly repentant believers will be saved, while those who remain enemies of the Lord, whether Jews or Gentiles, will be punished. Then we come to the New Testament. And it's referred to as the day of the Lord uh, um, and the second coming of Christ, known and and mentioned all over the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, uh, two different times. In Philippians, three different times. Of course, in 1 Thessalonians, and then in 2 Thessalonians, and 1 Peter. The coming is to be expected. Peter then describes the suddenness of this coming day. And this day term ends up being used for... The beginning when the people are caught up to meet Christ in the air all the way through until the completion of the millennium. So, the day is what? It's a day of blessing for believers. We read in verse 9, We were not appointed to suffer wrath. So this is a day of great hope, a day of blessing. There's no fear of the future. This is our hope. How much can you do if you aren't afraid? If you aren't paralyzed by fear? How much do you do if you have nothing to lose and everything to gain? You can do a lot if you've got nothing to lose because all that matters is everything that you are guaranteed to gain. So the day of the Lord is a day of blessing. Of course, we should be looking forward to it, it's filled with hope because we are going to gain so much more than we have now. But it is also a day of, of judgment for believers, for unbelievers, that is. Some will, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And all will be condemned who have not believed the truth and have delighted in their wickedness. But here's the practical problem. It's been a long time, hasn't it? Paul from his you just read Paul it's very obvious that he expected the Lord to return at any time before his life ended now we find ourselves 2,000 years later reading about one who wrote half the New Testament that thought he was coming that just that soon because the Lord wants us to be expecting but he hasn't come yet it gets easy to wonder well did we get it right hmm the Bible's so practical Because Peter addresses this issue in chapter 3 of his second letter. He says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget That long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be. You ought to be living holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Of course, we want it to come before some final exam, before the next doctor's appointment, before... But we have to remember his patience. I think I've told you about a young man in my last church who came to the Lord and marvelous story uh, saved out of Um, a, a life like we all had to one degree or another and he was so grateful to have been forgiven and he couldn't wait for Jesus to come back and he kept saying why doesn't he come today and I said to him what if he had come 18 months ago oh yeah that wouldn't have been good you see the patience the day is coming in time he will fix everything That's why we picked those words. This is patience, not distraction. And we find the thief again, and people are surprised. There is judgment. So we live lives that show we're prepared. And then Paul brings in a third illustration of light and darkness. And I have to confess with you, Uh, This week as I was looking through this I thought oh another thing Paul you go from the pregnant woman To the thief To to, to light and dark How many illustrations are we going to have here And so I began looking through this And it stood out to me That he had said in verse 2 You know very well that And then verse 4 But you are not in the darkness That this day should surprise you So I began to realize He had talked to them about this already So I started looking at the Old Testament references to the day of the Lord. And almost without exception, every one of the Old Testament references to the day of the Lord includes the issue of darkness and gloom. Darkness and light, darkness in Amos, darkness and light, pain and anguish and wrath in Isaiah. Uh, Joel, the sun and moon darkened, and that passage is used by uh, Peter when he preaches at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then in Zephaniah, darkness and gloom, and in Ezekiel chapter 30, clouds and darkness. Here's the significance. Paul has already talked to them about this. In Acts chapter 17, where he showed up to, to this particular city, he went to the synagogues and he spent three Sabbaths teaching in the synagogue. So he's speaking with Jews who are familiar with the Old Testament. Then the jealousy among the Jews gets them all into trouble. So the inference towards the Old Testament darkness would have been very clear to them and on their memories because he had talked to them about this. So he says, we're to be prepared. We're in the light of day so we can know now. Don't be like those who are lost in the darkness. Rather, put on faith and love as a breastplate, and I've told you repeatedly, they were famous for this, they had this, and this becomes a seed thought for what he develops more in Ephesians chapter 6, where he writes that later. But here his emphasis is, the hope is in the helmet of salvation. You have this hope, this is your hope. So, verse 11, encourage one another and build each other up with this hope. So let's apply the now I get it. If we really understand that this day is coming and that it's filled with all that I've just tried to unwrap here. Not knowing when does not mean not knowing what. Ask any woman who's had a baby. My sister and she was in nurses training. Saw the first baby her first baby delivery or delivery of a baby she was there assisting and she was so excited. And she couldn't help herself, and she said, It's a baby, it's a baby, it's a baby. To which the doctor said, And you expected what? (laughs) I mean, it's going to happen. Just because you don't know when does not mean you don't know what. You know now. It's been told to us over and over, so ignorance is not an excuse. A couple who are nine months pregnant are expecting. So be encouraged with this. Verse 11, encourage one another. We can be expecting that in time he will fix everything. A surprising arrival does not mean we have to have some kind of shocked response. Trust me, I'm warning you. Let's get ready. You don't want on that day to say, yeah, I think there was some message about Jesus coming. Is this what's going on? We don't have to have a shocked response. Let's not be like the modern scoffers that say, ah, I'm not so sure. We can be ready. We must be ready. And a great surprise can be greatly anticipated and prepared for. Don't let... This is maybe one of our problems with this too. Don't let the foolish distorters and time setters distract us from the importance of this. We've seen that here. People trying to set dates and, and, and we all get you know thrown under the bus for that. And Don't let that distract us. The Bible tells us we don't know the day or the hour, but that doesn't mean that we don't know it's going to happen. So we must be prepared. It struck me also this week as I was thinking through this concept, the last verses of Revelation now Revelation was written by John and John writes this he who testifies to these things says and quoting the Lord then yes I am coming soon that's what Jesus says and then John throws in amen come Lord Jesus now just think about who's saying those words John is very different from us we're looking forward to something that we've never experienced and seeing face to face someone we know but we have not seen John was looking forward to seeing again the best friend he ever had right he was the disciple whom Jesus loved he had known such intimate friendship with his saviour Look at with what kind of anticipation he looks forward to that. Oh, yes. I can't wait to see the best friend I've ever had. We stopped arguing about prophecy a number of years ago, thankfully, as a church in the United States. Remember those days some of us remember when we would argue about You know, pre, mid, and post, and pre and mid and post. There's two major things, the tribulation and the millennium, and we have three different views on each one of those, and then there are varying views that can be a combination of those two different things. And we got all so confused, and everybody wasn't getting it right. We finally said, let's stop fighting about this, and that's a good thing. But could it be that in our not arguing over prophecy anymore, we've lost sight of being prepared for that day? But the passage becomes even more practical Now I get it So I do it I live in the light of Jesus' return First Thessalonians 5 Verses 12 to the end of the chapter He gives some final instructions And I don't think he kind of finished that discussion And then was like Okay let me just tag on a few housekeeping details here It flows right into this So these things are a part of of what it means to be ready for Christ's return. verses 12 and 13. Follow your leaders. Now, this is a little bit of an awkward conversation. Let's call it a just saying conversation. Do you remember when I mentioned that culturally now if you among young people if you before you say something you just say I'm just saying, it allows you permission to say whatever you want no matter how offensive it might be, which is, you know, not really Correct, But this is kind of a just saying conversation in the sense that I'm, you know, this could be easily misunderstood as a self-serving comment. But don't take it that way, and it's in the passage, and we need to look at it and understand it for what it says. It is in Scripture, and it's so much about, so much more than just me. So let's look at this. Verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. What does that mean? It means you should support your staff, your elders, your teachers for their hard work. Now, behind all the, um, the jokes, well, you only work one day a week, um, and believe me, I I'm I jump all over that. People say that I only work one day a week. Are you kidding? I only work half a day. Actually, if I go over 30 minutes, they start getting upset. Okay, so, so I I, I jump on this as much as anybody. Okay, but know this: behind all of that, in this particular calling, there's no one stop. There's no stop and start to the work hours there is a lack of clearly defined length of day. And many times, there isn't a day off as much as we try and try and hold each other accountable to take those days off. Now, don't pity us because this is a privilege to be in the ministry. No question, and all of us feel that way. But just respect and expect. That's what the passage says. Respect their hard work, and then expect admonishing. Expect that they would give you instruction. In fact, even verse 14 uses the word warn here. This is the word that Paul used when he met with the Ephesian elders last visit on his way to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to be Uh, going to Rome, never going to see them again, and he says, I warned you, night and day for three years. You see, this admonishing is something we all need to continually have in order to prepare ourselves for all that's coming. Jesus is returning for a bride, and we all make up that bride. He isn't just returning for specific individuals. He's returning for a bride, and we're all a part of that. And we want to be an adorning part of that bride. Think about the image. How would a bride look if she had a big stain here right in the middle of her dress? It's not adorning. It's the first thing you see. It's not attractive. He is preparing his bride for that day. We need to be an adorning part of what that bride looks like as we follow our leaders, other things, as we help others, verses 14 and 15. Again, when you have nothing to lose and all to gain, look at all you can do. And we looked a little bit at this last week, but there's mutual care for one another, there's accountability with each other, there's patience, there's care for the weak. There's no retribution one towards another. And then in verses 16 and following, we have pleasing God. And I see two things here. God's will, so he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all things. Now, That's difficult, but it isn't standard. It's what we're supposed to be aiming for. And we have an opportunity this week to give thanks. Now, I encourage you to come Wednesday night, but I encourage you more Thursday when you're with your family and Friday and the extended weekend. Be quick to be thankful. Lead the way in helping other people to be thankful because of the things that you say that would be expressions of thanksgiving. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Then there's God's way, verses 19 to the end. Don't stand in the Spirit's way. Learn your lessons. Talks about prophecy there. That's the forth of God's Word. Learn what you're supposed to and discern between what is right and what is wrong. Here's our conclusion. Future thinking and perspective does not Mean earthly distraction. Again, let me take us back to the C.S. Lewis quote that Nancy put in our bulletin for last week. The Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set a foot the conversion of the entire Roman Empire, the great men who built the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. So not knowing when does not mean not knowing what. We can be expecting... A surprising arrival does not have to mean some kind of shocked response. We can be ready. And a great surprise can be greatly anticipated and prepared for. So future thinking and perspective does not mean earthly distraction. On the contrary, over-earthly focus leads to despair and no hope out of which change can come. So follow your leaders. Help others. Please God as you anticipate the day of his coming. How practical life becomes when hope means living in the light of that one day. His return. And this hope changes everything about here and prepares us for there. Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope that you have given us in Christ Jesus that is so certain again forgive us for making what really is so temporary so permanent in this present world as we look forward to that day and we prepare ourselves for that by becoming and allowing you to work in us all that you want to to be come fully that beautiful bride you're preparing I pray that you would bless our efforts, change our hearts and our minds and our behavior, and use us to be agents of change here in this world to reach and save as many as you would have and as possible to be with us in that world. In Jesus' name we pray.